should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Tuesday, the 17th. I don't even, you know, I never knew what day it was before, and now I just don't even want to know what day it is today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Michelle Miao, your host. It's Tuesday, so John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me here. It does make things feel a little bit better, and um, guess what? Hey, what? You're li- you're, if you're hearing it, there's a little bit of congestion. I'm sick again. I hate, I hate, I hate being sick. Mm. People stay home when you're sick, by the way. Take a ton of emergency. But um, anyway, I think that's a, it's a good time then to introduce John, who will now do news and updates and give you the lowdown of what's happening in our crumbling world. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, John. Okay, well, here's the Michelle Miao Show news update for Tuesday, January 17th. San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee appointed Jeff Sheehy, an AIDS activist who has HIV, as the replacement for Scott Weiner on the city's board of supervisors. The openly gay Weiner vacated his position after his election to the state senate. Noor Salman, I'm be mispronouncing that name. She's the widow of the Pulse nightclub uh, mass killer in Orlando, was arrested in California and is facing a judge in Oakland today. She is charged with giving material support to a terrorist organization and obstruction of justice. Now, I know we're going to talk a lot about the president-elect in today's show, so as you'd expect, there's quite a bit of Trump news today. Uh, Besides Europe reacting negatively to Donald Trump's call for tariffs on European goods, calling NATO obsolete, and saying more countries will leave the European Union, excuse me, European Union. Uh, Donald Trump also has to fill a spot on his uh, inauguration festivities. Uh, Jennifer Holliday changed her mind about performing at the inauguration, and uh, the Tony Award-winning singer says she voted for Hillary Clinton but had thought it was a good thing to perform for the president. She now will not and has apologized to her LGBT fans. And finally, a new Washington Post-ABC News poll finds that Trump is entering office with the lowest approval ratings of a president uh, incoming in four decades, with particularly low marks for his response to Russian intervention in the U.S. Nonetheless, a majority of survey respondents expect him to have success with the economy and fighting terrorism. Predictably, the Donald responded with, and this is a quote, the same people who did the phony election polls and were so wrong are now doing approval rating polls. They are rigged just like before. Well, <laughs> he, he did punctuate it correctly. So that's all the news that fits. Back to you, Michelle. At this point, I'm just hysterical. I just have to laugh at everything this dude. It's kind of funny that I'm calling our soon-to-be president the dude? <laughs> this dude. Um, anyway, ugh, I'm just, uh, I don't know what to do. I, I'm... The, the parts of me is like I'm 
I'm ready for the fight, you know? And then there's parts of me that's like, you might as well just do a ton of drugs right now, have a lot of sex, spend all your money, and listen to a ton of rock and roll because doomsday is coming and, you know, it's all just going to go down. Um, I know I shouldn't have that attitude. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of fighting or fighting back uh, or resisting this new president, there's many, many, many people. And, you know, the coolest thing about all this, and there is a cool factor to it or a positive factor, I should say, is that many, many people are now uh, engaged and involved and want to be active in doing something. Um, so people have been super creative in terms of what they're doing to protest this president. Um, and then there have been some high-level activities. I mean, a lot of organizations and, and politicians. So I want to go back to the fact that over you know 3 million people voted for Hillary Clinton. That should tell you something about you know public sentiments about this president. That Three, it, three million it, more than who voted for Donald Trump. Right, exactly. I'm sorry. Um, thanks for that clarification. So, don't go off the deep end. Don't do a lot of drugs. Don't take my advice. Don't. Ha- <laughs> I mean, do do have a lot of sex <laughs> because whatever it is that you're going to do, I'm sure sex will also help uh, you get through it. I want to introduce our next guest. Our, our next guest is co-chair of the Dyke March here in San Francisco. There is a big protest that is happening this weekend, and it's the Women's March. And it's not just here in the San Francisco Bay Area, but that is actually happening all across the country. Many news reports are reporting that this may be the biggest protest ever in terms of a presidential, or I, sh- I should say, yes, he's not a candidate anymore. He's the freaking president now. Ugh! Anyway, let's welcome Elizabeth Landon to the show. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yes, thank you for having me, Michelle. This is great. Um, so let's talk about this Saturday, uh, the 21st, there's going to be the Women's March, but you as co-chair of Dyke March got involved. I mean, this is huge. It's not just, you know, a group of women. This is like a call for everyone to be united, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I actually got involved um, probably on, I don't know, the 10th of November, something like that, after crying and uh, sleeping for a few days and uh, found myself looking for what was next. And as part of my work with the National Center for Lesbian Rights, I found um, I found really that the Women's March was going to be the next space for us to be active in. And so I just started reaching out to folks, um, the organizers of the National March, and asked for, you know, who's organizing in California, who's organizing in San Francisco, and asked to get um, connected to that pretty quickly. Also with my role with the Dyke March, it's been super helpful here in San Francisco because the Women's March looks very similar to the Dyke March. It is a mass mass resistance of um, women-identified folks, and um, we're going to be having a rally followed by a march. Um, and so part of the reason why I'm involved also is to bring that ex- expertise in how to actually um, do a march in San Francisco um, so that's what that's how I got involved, and we are gearing up for. Uh, we're one of 370 marches across the United States, and I just read yesterday on HuffPost Women that they're estimating San Francisco to be one of the largest marches. So I'm gearing up for that. So what what do you hope the march will accomplish? Whether it's the one here in, in uh, SF or the one any of them nationally, what what do you hope mm-hmm. comes out of it? 
For San Francisco, I really hope that this is a first coming together of the various intersections that make up the women's movement. I think it's really important for us to remember that um, we all come from so many different places and that when we come together, we are showing um, solidarity and strength in all of those differences. So part of me thinks this is going to be the start of some really interesting community building with a feminist lens on it that we really need right now. Um, I also, in San Francisco, I really want this to go happen very uh, safely and efficiently. It is a lot of people to move. It is a small space that we're working in, so just trying to make sure that everyone's safe and everyone feels um, welcome and that their experience is, is uh, shared and valued. Nationally, I there's a couple things I'm hoping for. One is that this really ignites some serious activism across the country, um, not just about women's rights, but about human rights. Um, the cool thing about the Women's March is it has this really interesting network of women throughout the country who are organizing this. So I'd really like to see that network activated, meaning uh, folks who are organizing um, throughout the states really stay connected after the march happens so that we can all help support agendas happening in our own states and at the federal level. I know from where I'm sitting in San Francisco, I actually work with um, leads for the Oakland March and the San Jose March. So we're collectively thinking about what these marches are, you know, what does it look like for the Bay Area to have these marches. So I'd love to have that sort of networked idea of relationships of activism happen at a national level too. Sure. How heterogeneous is this going to be? I mean, I was reading an article this morning about some conservative groups that are going to, to be taking part of the in the, the march in Washington because they too have been really offended by uh, Trump's, you know, his, his attitude and his actions toward women. Um, how open is it to, you know, a Republican woman who does not like what her party's doing and wants to attend? Women's March is for everyone. It is for everyone who feels like um, they need to have a voice and a space in the resistance. It's for everyone who is not going to put up with hateful misogyny. And for anyone who believes that um, we can make change together. So we're open to everyone from um, all walks of life, all belief systems. And I think that's the power, power of intersectionality is being able to embrace all those differences. Um, so we really are, you know, we're promoting it far and wide, making sure that anyone who um, really shares our value of a women-led human rights movement is uh, welcome to show up that day. And we really hope that they will, too. So do you think most Americans, mean, we were talking just before this at the beginning about how there's a majority of, of folks who voted, have voted who actually, of course, voted for Hillary Clinton and not Donald Trump. Um, do you feel, do you, I'm, I'm wording this ter terribly, do you, do you, I mean, do you have a sense of confidence, actually, that, that the majority of Americans are in alignment with you? They just need the push to get involved and, and become active? Or do you kind of think it's, it's the actual views that you're hoping will come out of this are a minority of views? You know, the, the Women's March put out, Women's March National put out a guiding vision and definition of principles called their Unity Principles on the website. Mm -hmm. And... I have been reading through this as a way to get my team here in San Francisco amped up, really getting behind what we're doing. And I think what's unique about these unity principles is they don't just talk about women's rights and women's issues. They really are intersectional. They cross so many different dynamics of our communities. 
So what I have seen is that this is actually a place for us to acknowledge. We, we, we share a lot. We really, really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really hoping that people will get more active and get more involved. Um, based on the numbers that I'm seeing for, you know, I heard something like only 200 buses are registered for the inauguration, but 1,200 are registered for the Women's March. I really think that that says something about where our country is in terms of um, what we hold as values. And if we don't agree with um, what's going on at certain levels of government, I think that um, what, what this is telling me is that we are empowered to rise up. Um, I'm really hoping also that folks will join along the way and go, wow, this is really a movement that's for me. This is really something that speaks to the things that I really want out of, out of my own life and my value system. This matches it. So I'm hoping that even if they come from different political backgrounds or whatever the case may be, that they can find something in here that they can hook up to because, like I said, women's rights are human rights. So it does, to me, there's so much for people to plug into there. We just have to be able to continue to make space for that and make space for difference and celebrate mm-hmm. that. Elizabeth, I want to go back to something that John had mentioned um, earlier when we started the show, which is this president is entering his presidency with the lowest um, ratings ever. And, and you know, when we're talking about these protests that we're doing, everyone else is doing around the country, what we're doing is resisting this president. So kind of like to answer this question, like, what do we want out of it? I, I mean, the, I think that the position in which a lot of people are in is that this president has done harm already to various communities, even before um, taking office, that I think that what we, what we would definitely take out of it is if he were to be impeached and or if we had an alternative i mean i think that that's that's kind of what we want we know we can't get that but um what are your thoughts i mean you know are you feeling the same way i'm feeling i would go out there on saturday and one of my signs would definitely say not my president mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think there's a there's a couple things going on one is the word protest like the word feminist is scary it freaks people out it's in some circles. It's even a, it's a dangerous or dirty word. I know feminist is something that when people say that they sort of cringe. They're like, oh my gosh, she must be militant or they must be militant, whatever it is. So I think that that idea of a protest is something that's a little bit tricky um, for folks. In in my experience and what we're doing in San Francisco, we're demonstrating resistance. That's what we're doing. So I think um, you know part of it is visibility. Also, part of it is saying we're not going to stand for this. So, yes, it definitely, um, there is a level of protest to it, but I think the bigger piece is really making sure that this is something that ignites uh, longer-term resistance because that's what we're going to need. Personally, I think um, there has to be, something has to give. Something has to give. There's no way that this can go on for four years. So would Women's March as a movement have some sort of um, role in in that larger um, action, I would hope so. I can't speak on what the organization or organizations will be doing um, after the march, but I think that this is the start of saying we're not going to put up with this, and if we have to demonstrate every year for the next four years, this is what we're going to do. I think also that the Women's March as a movement um, should should really be thinking about what it can do with this power of 700,000 people that have so far registered to go to these marches. That's a wow. lot of people. Yeah. 
Um, so there's definitely some power in that. I think we're all just trying to make sure these marches can happen and, and happen safely and efficiently in our various cities for now. I think really for me the question is what's going to happen on the 22nd of January and what does that mean for the women's movement and for folks who are going to be getting activated along the way. But yes, please bring your not my president sign. We fully that. <laughs> Elizabeth, we're going to take a quick break right here. But when we come back, I want to finish our conversation about uh, the Women's March, how huge this is, and then get some specific information for those who are tuning in that are in the Bay Area that might want to join. So stick around. Don't go away, okay? Okay, great. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot -E com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. In studio with us is my co-host, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. And our special guest on the phone with us is Elizabeth Lanyon, who is with the uh, National Center for Lesbian Rights as well as the co-chair for Dyke March and she's been integral in the production process of the Women's March that's happening here in the Bay Area and you may have heard but the Women's March all across the country may turn out to be one of the biggest largest marches protests 
ever in terms of a, uh, a president of well, the United States. And I just saw online uh, that Donald Trump is having trouble selling tickets to his inauguration. He's actually advertising on Facebook to get people to come to his inauguration. <laughs> so yes, I think the action in Washington this weekend is going to be in the Women's March. Well, at least it's on Facebook and not Groupon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elizabeth, I, you know, I, we talked a lot about uh, the different messages and kind of uh, the it's a call to action for every community out there to come out and resist this president. One of the things that the president became incredibly unpopular for, I should say one of the things, many things he has been, but he's called, um, you know, attention to harm the immigration community in terms of deporting immigrants. He has offended the Muslim American community, even going as far as talking about uh, a, a registry for Muslims here in the country or finding some way to not allow Muslims to go in and out of the country. Will there be specific messages to uplift these vulnerable communities that have been have you know come under direct attack from this new president? Mm -hmm. So at the Women's March in San Francisco, we are having speakers who represent a variety of communities, and um, part of the reason we're having them is so that they can speak to this and really and really have some space. Um, for their own message about how they uh, are going to be resisting. It was very intentional for us to make sure that those folks were prominent um, and that we included them as part of the larger picture for Women's March. Um, the national site has also put together a list of folks um, who are their partners, national partners, who represent organizations um, who provide services and, and work with uh, various communities. So I think that there's um, overall, a really big sense of we're all coming together in this um, and making sure that we really highlight the communities who um, who have been, um, mar you know, marginalized even further and or are going to be vulnerable, such as the Muslim community, immigrant community, LGBTQ community, um, and women. So, I would think organizing something like this is very difficult. I've never done it. You have. What's the biggest challenge in it, or what are some of the biggest challenges in, in doing it? <laughs> um, you know, there's a couple of pieces to it, and I think, you know, one thing that I will say is the city of San Francisco has been an exceptional partner in this. So um, what it takes when you're organizing something like this is coordination with several city departments, from the police department to Reckon Park and everyone in between. And so the city has been really, really helpful in getting us all in the same room together, uh, getting us all on the same page, and really backing what the Women's March is doing. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, question marks for me is our our um, RSVPs on Facebook mm -hmm. keep going up every day. So <laughs> no matter how much we plan, no matter no matter how big we plan for, there's no way for me to actually have a sense of how many people are going to show up that day. That makes me extremely excited, also a little bit nervous, you know, because our infrastructure sure. is we're planning infrastructure for twenty thousand people. That number could skyrocket depending on, you know, what is said at the inauguration on, on Friday or how people are feeling or any of those things. So that's one of the <laughs> biggest challenges for me is really just making sure that um, we are flexible enough to be able to sort of uh, pivot when needed for all those people. Um, so that's, that's sort of the biggest thing for me right now is trying to get my arms around that. So I've already heard, you know, rumors, uh, by the way, I mean, you know, this massive uh, amount of people who are turning out for the protest um, can also or may include moles. 
or those who are working against, you know, oh, what we're resisting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of any such, you know, uh, people or or I'm I'm sure of it that you probably have a plan in place if there were to be um, those who who show up and protest a protest. Well, or or people Mm -hmm. who show up and then act out in order to make the march look bad, even though they were basically plants. Right. Yeah. I haven't heard of the moles, which... um, Love to chat with you about that, Michelle. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. <laughs> here we go. There we go. Good news first. Um, I have heard that there's going to be potentially some uh, pro-Trump supporters trying to, uh, you know, kind of make a ruckus. But where we, where we're at is this is a peaceful demonstration. We have done training with over 300 volunteers on, um, you know peaceful demonstration strategies, de-escalation techniques, and really asking folks to, if you see something, say something, be accountable for yourself and for others, and keep just look out for each other. That's what we're all coming together for, look out for each other. Um, I will say that we have a safety team in place that is going to be helping marshal the march along, along the route down Market Street. So if there is anything that comes up, we are going to be in communication both with myself and the police department and our safety team so that we can pivot as needed if anything comes up. But our folks are all trained to de-escalate. There's, you know, we are a complete, we, we, that's one of the things that we really share with the Dyke March is um, we are a nonviolent grassroots group. So we're really training people to uphold those principles as we move through this process as well. Would glitter bombs be considered nonviolent and part of a de-escalation <laughs> <laughs> strategy? Um, we have not equipped our folks with glitter bombs, <laughs> but I can't see that as a de-escalation strategy because, you know, it definitely stops you in your tracks. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we need to let you get back to work. Um, let's get down to the good stuff, which is uh, not to, to – I, I know you already have a ton of people who want to be a part of this, and it's been promoted, and people have shared it a ton of t- times, but – um, just a simple, you know, website would be fine. This is a national program, so if you have the, is there a national website for the Women's March that you can find, you know, a march in a city near you or something like that? Yeah, so there is. So the national one is womensmarch.com, I believe. Uh, I'm just checking that right now. For the local Bay Area one, it's womensmarchbayarea.org, and you can find information about all three of our marches. Um and you can also look us up on the Facebook. That's where we put a lot of um, information for the day of as well. Um, so, but the Women's March National page also lists all of the marches that they know of going on uh, throughout the country. Go ahead, John. Do you have anything to add? I was just going to say it sounds great. I mean, and, and try to hope everyone gets out there and stays warm and has a, has a big impact. I kind of wonder what Donald Trump's going to be thinking as he as this pops up on his Twitter feed and he has to watch at least news of it. That all these women are are crazy? That it's not just <laughs> fake polls from ABC News <laughs> saying people dislike him, but that there are millions of people across the country in conservative communities and liberal communities all across, you know, saying, no, 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 this is not what we stand for. Uh, they paid people to show up? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, Donald, we did. We put out Facebook ads. Um, just like you did, <laughs> <laughs> to get people to come. 
No. Anyway, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for the work that you're doing, and to also the other uh, folks who had come together to do this even back in November. So we're so thankful for, for you people like you. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. We'll see you guys next week on uh, in San Francisco and in D.C. That's right. Or this Saturday. This Saturday, right? This, yep, yeah. this yeah. Saturday. This Saturday, the 21st. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick short break, but when we come back, John Zipper and I will uh, continue discussing our, our I don't know, that dude. <laughs> uh, he's probably, I'm, yeah, I'm probably going to be targeted or not. I mean, I'm one of like a ton of people who are saying things like this. Anyway, don't go away. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 17th, just days away until Donald J. Trump becomes our 45th president formally. 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 Yeah. formally. I mean, I, I can still call him the dude, that dude, that guy for now, right? Sure. But <laughs> hey, think of all the things that the Republicans called uh, Barack Obama. That's right. Um, so, you know, that was great information in terms of the women's march. And, and I was talking yesterday at a neighborhood center here in San Francisco on, on uh, MLK Day. And there were, you know, the topic was how to be a, an upstander, not a bystander. And I think for a lot of us, you know, being a bystander was safe in some ways because, you know, maybe you're not one to rock the boat. And I think for, for a lot of people, your parents may have taught you that to be a little bit more passive and not so outspoken um, because things like getting arrested is possible here in this country. But I think that now more than ever is time to speak up and speak out as far as like any injustices that people may face uh, now more than ever. It's so incredibly important. And I keep saying this over and over and over, but I'm pretty sure this year or next year or however long it takes until President Trump is out of office, uh, I may be arrested and or, you know, beaten up or something like that. You might want to show me how to operate that 
the studio production stuff. I That's mean, right. Just, so we can keep going in your absence. <laughs> and, and I say this because I, I don't think that I can just sit back. And I hope that most Americans, whether you are a Trump supporter or not, if there is something happening, when I'm talking about injustices, I'm talking about, you know, violent attacks, um, which has increased since the uh, since prep. I have to get used to saying that. Just say it since the election. Since the thank you since the election. D Day. Since D Day. Um. Anyway, so I will be marching this Saturday. Although for the inauguration, I know that some people have said that they are going to protest the inauguration by not tuning into the inauguration. John, what are you going to be doing when President Trump is inaugurated? Um, I probably would have watched it just out of uh, the need to kind of actually see this happen. Um, you know, there's, of course, a lot of uh, Democratic congressional members who have been saying they will not attend. And I think it's now a couple dozen or more who uh, have said, you know, they normally would attend out of respect for the office of the presidency, and they just cannot do it, especially after Donald Trump went after uh, civil rights icon John Lewis last week. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Do explain. So uh, Representative Lewis, um, I believe he's from Georgia, um, had made some comment about not about planning not to attend. He considered Donald Trump to be an illegitimate president who was put into office, at least in part, by uh, Russian help. And uh, Trump tweeted that, uh, I forget the exact words, but he, he complained about John Lewis, said he was... Um, he, he used some derogatory terms about him and, and his accomplishments. That, of course, set off a firestorm of other people pointing out that John Lewis actually, you know, suffered for his views. And, and he actually, he went out and he marched back when you were facing, you know, police dogs and, and uh, hard batons and everything, just demanding civil equal rights just for being human. Um, so John Lewis certainly will come out of this with, uh, I think, even more... Uh, 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 Renown because he he has stood up for his his views um, and a lot but that also then set off a cascade of a number of other uh, congressional members from the Democrats saying no we just can't take a part of this if this is what it's become we cannot do that. Here's a video the Washington Post um, produce of of just what you're talking about so let's just play it. As a legitimate president, you do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected. I don't plan to attend inauguration. I, I was deeply disappointed uh, to see him, someone of his stature question the legitimacy of, of Donald Trump's election as president and say he's not attending the inauguration. And I, I hope he reconsiders both positions. It's disappointing, too, because I, I truly do believe this is a time. Uh, when the American people should be celebrating the peaceful transition of power. We need folks like John Lewis and others who I think have been champions of voter rights to actually recognize Prince Priebus. that Donald Trump was duly elected. And I think it's incredibly disappointing and I think it's irresponsible for people uh, like himself to question the legitimacy of the next United States president. My hope would be 
that the president-elect will reach out to somebody as consequential and as somebody who is such a leader as John Lewis, who has done so many things over the course of his Some white guy, to try to White House staff guy. Here's Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie the Sanders. Birth movement trying to delegitimize uh, the presidency of our first African-American president, Barack Obama, which is an outrage. I really regret uh, the, the president-elect's response uh, to what John Lewis said. Uh, it's without understanding of his history, of what he went through, of the fact that this is Martin Luther King weekend. We shouldn't ignore that people are partisan. So John Lewis is a partisan. I have a great deal of respect for him, but he's a partisan and I disagree with him on issues. I should be able to honestly disagree with him and not have it all come back to I have no appreciation for civil rights uh, icon because of this. And I think that's the part that I think sometimes unfair in this. I've got the utmost respect for uh, Congressman Lewis. He's, he's an icon, if you, if you will, and, and we all have the most respect for him. I just think that was uncalled for. I, I, maybe, I, I just wish that rhetoric would tone down from both back and forth. The bottom line is if we're concerned about the Russians and we know the Russians want to be involved, Putin wants to be involved in altering our process, then he will succeed if he sees this bickering going back and forth. That's what we have to stop. We're bigger than this. <laughs> so those are just the responses from John Lewis yeah. um, uh, saying that uh, Donald Trump is an illegitimate <laughs> president. Um, or, or questioning the, the legitimacy of his, his presidency. And I think, you know what, to be honest with you, it's completely valid considering a full-on investigation had to be launched in terms of, you know, Russian involvement, don't you think? Um, and let's see. So this dossier that the Russians allegedly have on, on uh, Donald Trump is so fake that apparently the, uh, the UK spy who uh, put it together immediately went into hiding. I think people can ask genuine questions about that, and it's not going to be to Trump's uh, benefit. Uh, I thought Bernie Sanders was right on the nail there when he responded to, you know, Rince Priebus saying, oh, no one should, uh, he said Republicans did not question uh, Barack Obama's legitimacy, and, and not only did they <laughs> repeatedly, but Donald Trump himself specifically was the lead person with this whole birther nonsense. So, right. Um, yeah, you know, buckle up. Buttercup, and, and it's go, you know yeah. to, to to Donald Trump and his people buckle up because it is it politics is rough, and uh, you played rough to get there. It's certainly you know there are certainly enough Democrats who still know how to get into a street fight. Well, let's go back to the fact that there had been you know politicians uh, Republicans who sat out from President Obama's inauguration. I mean, you you had made I did that. not know that. Yes, um, and in fact. Uh, <laughs> I, we all remember John Boehner, um, of course. Boehner? Boehner? Let's call him Boehner. <laughs> uh, but but it, back in, you know, 2013, there were a group of Republicans that inc included John Boehner, uh, Joe Wilson, you know, calling the president and screaming at him, yelling at him, you know, you lie <laughs> during a presidential address. I mean, that kind of behavior is what I'm saying, maybe not skipping out, but let, let, let's just say that, uh, you know, it's not just Democrats who have questioned and or have said things um, that these Republicans now are, you know, crying as if they're victims. Like, this is a, this is so disrespectful. Well, and, and really, here, this is an absolutely nonpartisan response to say, 
there's a significant difference there. There was never any reason to question Barack Obama's legitimacy, and not in the vote, not in, you know, as whether he's a citizen. That was all made up. There right. is legitimate reason to question the at least the involvement of Russia in interfering in our election. You know, whether that tilted the election or frankly, I think duped enough people with the fake news that it it helped spread around. Um, but it that's that that's perfectly fair then to say you don't think he's a legitimate president. It's not you know it's not like it, re, it strips him of the office. You know that'll that'll take the uh, impeachment hearings. That's right. So in kind of going back to what will people be doing on Friday, um, whether tuning into the inauguration uh, or not. I mean, some people are saying if you want to protest the inauguration by not tuning in, uh, what you have to do is actually keep your television turned on, but not tuned in to that station that's airing the inauguration so that uh, it'll count in terms of how they measure, uh, you know, what's the most popular program at that time. If, if you're part of a TV measuring right. audience. Measuring yes, thing, if you're holding a Nielsen's ratings, like, yeah. I don't know what they have these days, a, a device or... Probably an app. An app. <laughs> <laughs> All the kids have them. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, there are a ton of protests uh, happening. There are, there are several fundraisers. People are actually holding fundraisers and concerts of their own uh, to raise funds for Planned Parenthood and other or several you know not nonprofit organizations that are doing the work to resist this president. Uh, I, 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 first of all, everybody be safe. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone try to be safe. I think you should stay off Twitter, but I don't know if that's possible because the president may be tweeting. <laughs> I wonder if he would be more offended by getting a bunch of negative tweets about him or radio silence as a result of what he says. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, he, he loves to play to a crowd. So if he says something controversial and no one, you know, reacts... Does that bother him more, or you know, because he seems to enjoy getting into those you're right. sluggy matches. You're right. So don't 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 react to to anything he says. We should <laughs> we should we should ignore him. I, I wasn't saying that as a prescription, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> we, you know you know what I who, would say though. What our president? Who again? I, I would say calibrate your energies and your focus for the long term, because he is taking the oath of office on on, on Friday. He's you know likely to be there for four years at least so you know figure out what you want to do where you want to put your money organizations you want to support um, media groups you know the guardian the new york times whatever that are doing some very uh, uh good and brave reporting you know maybe it's time to subscribe to one of those old paper newspapers or online you know news organizations um and certainly i would say Learn as much as you can about politics, and we've said that we were saying this the the day after the, ele the election, um, or you know the week after the election is is get involved. You know, go if you, if you're a Democrat, go down to the Democratic headquarters in your area because now is the time to get involved and and to have a hand in who becomes nominated and who what work is done and stuff like that. One thing I do want to bring up uh, before we go on our final break is the Affordable Care Act. And I've so, heard of it. yes, so there had been um, a lot of reports that some Republicans in the middle of the night did something that started to dismantle or the process of repealing the Affordable Care Act. Can you can you speak to a little bit to that? We we will have 
actually a representative from the Urban Institute with us on the show this week to discuss kind of the state of the Affordable Care Act and what that might mean. But uh, while I have you here, John, um, did you get anything from that? I'm, I'm, I'm not clear yet as to what actually, you know, went on in the middle of the night. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting because basically there are a lot of preliminary votes that can be taken. And uh, you have a, a split within, even among congressional Democrats, excuse me, congressional Republicans, on should they just, you know, be a bull in a china shop and get rid of it and figure out what to do later, which current estimates say would leave 18 million people now without insurance, who would lose insurance, or do they actually seriously try to come up with something better? Um, and I think if they did that, you would actually have some Democrats who would say, okay, well, right or wrong, they're going to work with it and see if they can influence it. Um, so w the ACA slash Obamacare, same thing, um, has not been overturned. But there are votes that they're doing now. And, and, of course, Republicans have been, you know, voting to oppose and overturn Obamacare for, you know, all throughout the Obama uh, presidency. And, of course, each time you would get knocked down later on. Now that they actually have the power, um, you're finding that they're starting, it, it's actually fun to watch, or interesting to watch if you're into politics. Read, you know, Politico and other things where they're covering this, and you're seeing that even among the Republicans, they're, they're getting into these fights of, okay, what do we actually do now that we can do something? Right. And uh, President Trump, excuse me, President-elect Trump, or that guy, as Michelle would, <laughs> that, that dude, dude, excuse me, um, he's disagreeing with them. He's talking about, you know, there being coverage for everybody. And that's, you know, it. so it's very serious because lives are at stake. It hasn't yet happened. Um, and I think the Democrats, of course, are going to highlight this all the way to kingdom come because they know ultimately it will, you know, win them back a bunch of seats in, in uh, 2018 or 2020 or whatever. But so it, don't freak out about what's happened so far. But. I'd, I'd leave freak out on the table because it, it is probably going to happen. What What is interesting, uh, Melissa Kane, a CBS uh, political analyst we've had on the program, hope to have her again soon, um, she had said she doesn't expect anything to happen until after 2018. Uh -huh. and they, they may do votes and such, but she doesn't expect it, anything to take place until then because, A, you have a lot of stuff that's mandated through them. You have you know right. money that has to get into the pipeline. You have all these contracts and everything. Um, and also, of course, the Republicans want to get through the 2018 uh, congressional elections. Right. So with that being said, I do want to mention that the Congressional Budget Office did release a current report that would basically outline the, uh, the, the effects of repealing the Affordable Care Act. And as you mentioned, John, that would leave um, 18 million plus people without insurance, but also gets into the nitty gritty of, of, of you know, uh, health insurance coverage and premiums, what the result would be in terms of how it would impact the insurance market, and if there are no reforms or no anything left, well, what type of penalties and subsidies um, would then take place? I mean, it, it just sounds like it's such an incredible mess that this report would really make it difficult for these Republicans to repeal the Affordable Care Act in that way. However, 
of, of course, Republicans have already started speaking out against this report, uh, which is a nonpartisan analysis, by the way, for Congress, in which um, they were saying that it's completely one-sided. So you're calling an, a nonpartisan uh, you know, report bias uh, such a contradiction. And I, I just want to point that out for those of you who don't actually go and look for these types of research, but tune in and listen to just people speak. It's really important that you do take a look at this report, and you can find that by going to cbo.gov and just you know search on that for how repealing portions of the Affordable Care Act, just repealing portions, not the whole thing, would affect health insurance coverage and premiums. So this obviously affects every single person, um, especially you know if you have health insurance through uh, the Affordable Care Act. Um, you, you just have to, to read it. I mean, quickly, uh, a summary. I'll just pull out one bullet point. number of people who are uninsured would, would uh, okay, well, John already said this. Um, let me add to that. The elimination of the Affordable Care Act's expansion of Medicaid eligibility and, 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 and of subsidies for insurance purchased through the ACA marketplaces, that number would increase to $27 million, then $32 million in 2026. So that would be the gradual process if we were, start, we were to repeal portions of this. And just looking at it from the Medicaid perspective, that's the number of people who would lose care. That would leave us in 2026 with a, I, almost like, in my opinion, I mean, a very sick country, one, and a very poor country. Yes, Politico is reporting that a uh, number of Republican leaders in Congress are not concerned about um, uh, dealing, you know, Obama, Obama, President Obama's goal was, of course, to reduce the number of uninsured as low as possible. It's currently about 9%, according to this article. Um, and Politico is arguing that, that there are GOP lawmakers who are, as they put it, stressed that they are less concerned about matching Obamacare's coverage gain, gains uh, they would rather have people have access to affordable insurance only if they want it, hoping to avoid Obamacare's individual mandate, unquote. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about completely different goals. And then, again, Donald Trump over the weekend, uh, I guess talking with Washington Post, uh, arguing for his goal is to expand coverage, quote, insurance for everybody, unquote, was his, his uh, goal. So he's... This is going to be a, a political mess. I mean, it was complicated way back in the early 90s when Hillary Clinton was trying right. to tackle it. Very complicated uh, now, obviously, exactly. with, with, and with whatever they come up with. And I, I think there have yeah. been a lot of Republicans who've always thought this is a good base rallying mm -hmm. uh, topic. And now they have to realize, oh, wait, they actually have to start getting into drug negotiations and, and uh, you know... <laughs> Well, President Obama had always admitted that, you know, it's 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 a start. There are a lot of complications to it. There needs a lot of fixing, but it's a start, and we just need to continue building on it. So um, to go back and just to rip it off and say it's, you know, off the table, we need something completely different, one would have to point fingers at someone like, you know, Paul Ryan to say, is it is it really a faulty program, or do you, you have some personal vendetta against Barack Obama? Um, anyway, that's probably another conversation or a topic that we can have. Let's take a quick break right here. But when we come back, John and I will uh, give you our final thoughts and close out the show. Don't go away. Babe, 
I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here as my co-host. Hey, one thing we didn't talk about, John, would be um, uh, our soon-to-be president or soon-to-be official president Donald Trump and the Golden Showers? Um, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> not. Do we have anything to add to that? I, I, I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know what Golden Showers are. Uh, Google it. No, don't Google it, people. <laughs> um, no, really, what was that all about? Well, okay, so one article I read saw, said that uh, some online group... I don't know all these names, but it was basically a group online was taking credit for it. They were thrilled that they actually had made this thing up and got it uh, injected in there. Um, my suspicion, I mean, that that's one of those stories that's just so outrageously awful that uh, people want to either think it's true or at least like needling him with it because uh, it upsets him so much. Um, my general attitude on on someone like Donald Trump is if you oppose him, there's so much that's already right there on the public record. Um, and, you know, I mean, just go back to this fall and it's all there. You don't need to make up stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, at least that gave me a chuckle. Um, but one other person who's been giving us many chuckles throughout this whole uh, election cycle. Um, Samantha has, and <laughs> Actually, I was going to say Alec Baldwin okay. and, okay. and, and SNL. And I don't know if you saw 
the most recent Saturday Night Live, but uh, he did do, I think he, he, I mean, this is going to, not that his career was on the, but he was busy having kids, and now (laughs) (laughs) he's busy impersonating Donald Trump. Um, I think I want to play this video and of him, you know, talking about Obamacare and the Golden Showers, by the way. The following is a rebroadcast of Donald Trump's first press conference as president-elect. Hello, and thank you for coming. I'd like to start by answering the question that's on everyone's mind. Yes, this is real life. This is really happening. (laughs) On January 20th, I, Donald J. Trump, will become the 45th president of the United States. And then, two months later, Mike Pence will become the 46th. (laughs) I am so excited to live in the White House. I'm even going to have a little pet, like all the presidents do. Bill Clinton had socks, Barack Obama had bow, and I'll have Paul Ryan. I mean, I'm not gay, but I cannot wait to give it to that man for four years. And guys, I mean, who is excited for my inauguration day? Yes, thank you to those people over there who I definitely did not pay to do that. And we have got some of the biggest performers in the world lined up. Hold on to your tits and bits, because we have got three doors down. Also, from America's Got Talent, we've got... Jackie, what's your face? <clears throat> and best of all, we've got the one rock cat with the least money in her savings. <laughs> we've also got some huge A-list actors coming like Angelina Jolie, Ryan Gosling, and Jennifer Lawrence. They will all be at my inauguration, courtesy of Madame Tussauds. <laughs> now, as you all know, this is my first press conference in six months, and there was so much to talk about. I'm bringing jobs back. I'm picking the best cabinet. So go ahead, ask me anything. Yes, you. Hey, uh, ABC News, I'd like to ask you about your big Russian pee-pee party. No, no, I am not talking about the pee-pee. Because it didn't happen. And it wasn't as cool as it sounds. Next question. Yes, Justice Scalia's death has left a vacancy on the Supreme Court, and many are wondering about your timeline for a replacement. So I guess my question is, did you guys like all pee, or did you just like watch them guys, pee? <laughs> guys, no, no, I do not want to talk about the pee pee. I want to talk about what is really important. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all the time we have is for the golden showers. <laughs> so if you want to see the entire clip, I'm sure you can find it online, yeah. Saturday Night Live. Um, I, I, again, I can't wait for the next video. I think that that's. For as long as President Trump is President Trump, Alec Baldwin has a job. I think so. Um, Saturday Night Live really rises to the occasion on uh, election years, and they kind of. This would be. This is better than if Sarah Palin had gotten into office and we had, had <laughs> Tina Fey doing her every week. Hey, I want to thank everyone for joining us here on the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. If you'd like to be on the show, head to michellemiao.com and let us know. We'll bring you on the show during this time in which all our voices matter. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. 
Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders.